our God, you have chosen to make yourself known through your creation, your word, your son, and your spirit. Now reveal your glory to us and through us, the church. Speak to us, lead us, form us, lead us, us. teach us today how to love as Jesus loves, to welcome the stranger, heal the sick, and care for the poor, to bear good news, build bridges, and bring your people home. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. May your perfect will prevail in us this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So today we're continuing with our series called Prophets, Priests, and Healers, and I am uh, blessed that I get to speak with you today. Jeff's telling me that we want to we straighten this thing out, because for some of you who are, uh, I don't know, what do we call that, OCD? It's going to be bothering you the whole time, right? And it's going to distract you, and you're not really going to hear anything that I say. We don't want that. Is that good, Jeff? Thank you. That was for you, brother. Um, and if, in case I haven't met you before, since I have a chance to introduce myself yet, I'm Pastor Johnny, and I'm the campus pastor here at Monterey Park, and I'm excited that I get to share with you today. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff kind of brewing and sitting and ruminating in my heart, and I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people over the last weeks, and um, just kind of watching what God is doing in this world amidst uh, the craziness. Um, so I'm looking forward to sharing with you today. Um, but what we want to do through this series is really what we're saying is that everyone who follows Christ and has the Holy Spirit living in them is called to be a prophet and a priest and a healer. And I know some of you who might have come from the Catholic background, right? If I say you're supposed to be a priest, you're like, well, I'm already married. or I'm, that's, I'm not, that's, not, that's not in the cards for me. Like, I'm not, No. Um, But what I'm talking about is a different kind of calling, to be a prophet, to be somebody who stands for God in the presence of other people as a priest, to be a healer. What does that even mean? And how do we even do that apart from the power of God that lives inside of us? Can't. So today we're going to look at a little bit more what that means, that we are called to be prophets, priests, and healers, we're going to look at it from a different kind of angle. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians today. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the the Christians in the city of Ephesus, and that city is in what today we would know as uh, Turkey. And this letter starts out as a letter of thanksgiving and worship. Paul Paul starts off by by praising God for his blessings, for, for redemption in God, that God has chosen them to be his. He tells the people of the Ephesus church that he, he's constantly praying for them, and he gives thanks to God for them, for their faith to grow, and for God to keep expanding their experience of God's hope and power. He actually uses that phrase, that God would open the eyes of your heart, which is where that song that we sing comes from, open the eyes of my heart. He explains how everyone in the church had once been dead to sin, or dead in sin, but that they all needed the kindness and the grace of God to save them from their sin and from themselves. And he makes it clear. He says, there is nothing that they they themselves have done to be saved to a new life, but it's the grace, the gift of God in Christ Jesus, so that no one can boast. Now, this letter so far could have been written to any church at that time, and it could be written to any church today. 
It describes the experience of anyone who has come to a place where they have declared their faith in Jesus Christ. This is who you are in Christ. And he's, a, he's kind of a, he's an itinerant pastor. He's traveling. He's church planning all over the place. And he's writing a letter to these people in Ephesus saying, I thank God for you. I thank God for all the things that I hear about that are happening at Ephesus Church. Or he could be very well saying at Trinity Church. God is doing some amazing things. And Paul says all of these things, all of these truths that everyone at the Ephesus Church has in common with one another because he's actually about to address a pressing issue that is tearing them apart. There is something in the Ephesus Church that is tearing these people apart from each other, from God. In the Ephesus Church, there was division and confusion and disunity, especially between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians, they were the ones who could claim that they were among God's chosen people, right? They knew the customs. They were ceremonially, ceremonially pure before God, right? But the Jewish Christians, see, they had made this huge jump, right? And it, and it cost them their good standing with the other Jews, right? Because what did the Jewish Christians do? They said, Jesus is Lord. They said, the Messiah has come. And that set them apart, even from their own people, right? But they still consider themselves Jews. We are God's chosen people, and we just have the special understanding, right, that, that Jesus is the Messiah. But they were Jews. And then there were the Gentile Christians. Gentiles were everybody who was not Jewish, right? Uh, <clears throat> they wanted to be Christians, and they wanted to follow Jesus Christ, but they didn't have the heritage. They weren't circumcised, right? They, they didn't have the, the outward or inward signs that they were part of God's chosen people, right? They didn't know the customs. They just wanted to know Jesus, and they wanted to be part of the church. And, and Paul reminds these Gentiles that they, they were once far from God, but they have now been brought close by the blood of Christ. They were, in a sense, grafted in or adopted into God's family. And, and this didn't make them second-class citizens. They had full citizenship in the kingdom of God. They were fully part of God's family. But this is important to note, and I want to say this before we read the scripture that we're going to say today. It was the Jewish Christians, the insiders, the ones with the power and the privilege in the church who had created the division. They were making it hard for the Gentile Christians to become part of the church by pressing them to, and requiring them to follow the strict Jewish customs and laws. They thought they were doing the right thing, the godly thing, but they were driving the church further from unity. And the war, the divide between the insiders and the outsiders kept getting bigger and bigger. And this is where Paul addresses the disunity, our central passage of Scripture for today. We're going to be looking. If you want to look in a Bible, you can on your phone, but we're going to have it up on the screen. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And this is what Paul says after he introduces all that. He says, For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace 
to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Let me pray. Lord, you have made me what I am, and you have given me this platform and this time. And as a prophet, I want to speak not with my own authority, but I want to speak with the authority of God, God who calls into being things that are not. As a priest, I want to be a vessel of of bringing glory and honor and attention to God. And as a healer, I want to speak life into death, hope into despair, light into darkness, and oneness into brokenness. Amen. You know, in Paul's words to the church of Ephesus, he is speaking unity to this fractured body. They are a fractured body. He says, For he himself is our peace, referring to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Any time... Please hear me. Any time that there are commands and regulations, rules and rituals that create the us versus them mentality, this is the sign that there is the dividing wall of hostility among us. Now, how did Jesus do that? How did he destroy the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside, it says, by he, he set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations? What does that mean? It's talking about the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. How did he do that? How did he set aside the law with his flesh? You know, for Jews back then, just as as it would be today, one of the greatest obstacles to them believing in Jesus' crucifixion and death is that they can't fathom how a holy God could endure such shameful and agonizing torture and death. But even more, by how doing this, He actually took the weight and the the punishment of sin on himself. They couldn't fathom that. They couldn't, how could, if Jesus is God, how could he, no. No, that cannot be. See, essentially what you have is in Jesus' crucifixion and death is you have holy God mashing together with sinful humanity. He set aside the law with its commands and regulations Uh, Pastor and author Derwin Gray writes it this way. He says, on the cross, Jesus grabbed the hand of humanity and the hand of God the Father. And on that cross, he bridged the gap. Imagine that. Jesus Christ grabbing the hand of humanity and grabbing the hand of God at the same time and bridging the gap. God, you're, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to mix holy God with sinful humanity. You're not supposed to be nailed on a cross torn and bleeding. You're not supposed to die. That's not supposed to happen. It's against the rules. It's against the commands and the regulations. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. And he does it anyway. This is why when Jesus died, the, the gospel of Mark recounts that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The separation between holy God and sinful us was removed. And by doing this, God showed that his glory can invade even the brokenness of this world. That what once was impossible is now possible. That what once was at war can now be united. He 
Himself is our peace. His purpose, it continues, was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two. These two warring groups, right? Or these two separate things. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. There is no more hostility, Jesus says. It's been put to death. By breaking the rules and mixing the holy with the profane, God has united what was once separated. Amen? And if humanity can be made one with God, he could definitely make them the Christian Jews and the Christian Gentiles, one with each other. If God and humanity can be made one, he could bridge the gap between us and our differences, right? Now, that all sounds nice, but what does that have to do with us sitting here today at Trinity Church in 2017 with all the crazy things we see happening in our world today? What does that mean for us? Now, for the church in Ephesus, that main dividing wall came in the form of the Jews versus the Gentiles, right? The insiders versus the outsiders. The long-timers versus the newcomers. The Johnnies come lately, right? Oh, you guys haven't. You're not the people. You don't, you're not the, you don't know. We're the, we're the in people. You guys are just the, yeah, you just came along, right? You're just trying to, you're just trying to kind of get in here. But you're not the, you're not us. You're not one of us. You know, today we don't have to look very far, do we, to see those dividing walls of hostility everywhere. You know, sometimes we create walls of hostility for no good reason, right? Last week at our, at our kid ministry lunch that we had for all the parents, I took a quick poll of those who love pineapple and ham on their pizza and those who believe that pineapple and ham is an abomination, And, and I've got to tell you, the room was pretty divided. I thought, I thought, I thought a war was going to break out right there, you know, because people feel pretty strongly. But I've seen, I've seen posts on social media. I've seen people just calling people out. You're disgusting, you know, shut up, you know. <clears throat> Get out of here with that business. We do this over, over allegiances too, don't we? My, my brother Abner here told me that he has a blue front door at his house. You want to know why he has a blue front door? Ask me. Why does Abner have a blue front door? He is a Bruin. UCLA alum. Right? And so he opposes. He opposes. How, many, how many UCLA people do we have here? Any, any Trojan fans here? Abner, my brother here, he opposes any of the colors of his rival. No part of his house is red. Uh, he has a blue car. I don't think that was by accident. He does not own a single piece of red clothing. Now, these are things I know. I know when, uh, you know, when, the, when game time comes around and uh, the Trojans go against the Bruins, uh, that these things matter. But in the big picture, right, these things don't matter. And I think most people can recognize that, right? Most of us, except for game day, can put these things aside and say, it doesn't matter. But then there are these dividing walls that we see of hostility 
that really do lead to rage and hatred and violence and even death. Right? This past week, we saw once again the ugliness of racism rear its head. And tragically, the life of one promising young woman was lost, and many more people were injured. Seriously. And yes, racism is ugly and unacceptable, and, and it's a result of sin, the brokenness that we see in the world. But the fact is that this wall of hostility doesn't have to be there. People choose to have these hateful thoughts. And then these thoughts turn into actions and words. They choose to have these thoughts. And yes, I am 100% certain, and I say this with a broken heart, I say this with 100% certainty, that some of those who were out marching, carrying torches and waving Nazi flags and wearing swastikas were also in church somewhere that following Sunday. I am positive. How? And this ugliness is nothing new. Racism and hatred and oppression, it's been around for a long time, right? But racism is only one type of the dividing wall of hostility that we see, isn't it? In our country alone, there are dividing walls of hostility over women's rights, over health care solutions, over immigration, over education, over marriage equality, just to name a few. Am I right? And those things have infiltrated the church, too. And it's important that we identify what those things are, those things that create those dividing walls of hostility, right? We need to call those things out. God's holy people, we're still in the world, right? We still have thoughts and opinions about what we see around us. I am sure, I'm positive, that in this room, we have a variety of views on all the issues that I just mentioned. I have very strong views myself. But the dividing wall of hostility comes when we hold to a position so tightly that it becomes more important than the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ. That we follow him and we are called to be holy and set apart as he is holy. We can get so entrenched in a certain position or a belief or an opinion that we actually find ourselves angry, even hostile, even toward one another, our brothers and sisters. We hold grudges and we create enemies of those who think differently. And we set up walls of hostility. Jesus Christ gave his life for us to have no dividing walls of hostility between him and me and me and others. But isn't it all too easy to find reason to try to put those walls back up? He tore the wall down and we're trying to put it back up. He tears the wall down and we're trying to put it back up. I'm wrong and you're, I'm right and you're wrong. I see and you don't. I'm in and you're out. Or if you're in, then I'm out because I don't want to change. If we're being honest, there are different kinds of dividing walls of hostility right here in this room that separate us from each other. What the pastor looks like, how long the service goes, the style of music, the topics we choose to cover, the people or groups that we pay attention to, the events we've chosen to continue or not continue, the changes and transitions we've been going through the last couple of years and so on. There could be dividing walls of hostilities in family right now between spouses, between parents and kids, dividing walls of hostility. And these dividing walls of hostility are there and we might not even realize it. But when we do see them, we need to call them out. 
And we need to join Jesus in doing what he does best with dividing walls of hostility. He destroys them. He destroys the dividing walls of hostility. Now I want to talk a little bit about how these dividing walls of hostility even get constructed in our hearts and lives. How does it get to a point where I'm not only holding on to certain destructive beliefs, but I'm actually passing them on to the people around me? Did you know that as adults, parents, we hold on to certain beliefs and we hold on to certain walls and we cannot help but those things are going to trickle down to our kids, our families. They do. We pass these things on. You know, the, the dividing wall in the Jewish temple culture, it, it was an actual thing, right? See there this, uh, this picture of the temple, right? The temple was considered this holy place, right? And so, so only God's people were allowed into the temple. The holiest part, it's called the Holy of Holies, right, was only entered by one person. Who was that? The high priest, right? But then there was another space where only the men were allowed, and further out from there, only the women, the, the women were allowed to go this far, right? Segregation of uh, genders. And then way out at the very furthest edges was the court of the Gentiles. And the space, this, this division between where the Gentiles had to stay and where the Jews could be was called the dividing wall. That's what it was called. Right? So when Paul refers to the dividing wall of hostility, both Jews and Gentiles would have known what that was. And, and, and I can imagine that would have been really convicting for the Jews, right, the insiders. Hey, did you know that Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility? And the Jews would have been like, oh. And the Gentiles, the outsiders, would have been like, yes! Finally, we're in. We can, we can come to God, Right? Paul is basically saying, when he says this, he's basically saying, I don't care what's in the physical temple. In Christ, there is no dividing wall, period. There's no division, no hostility. So the question is then, of course, if Jesus spiritually destroyed the wall of separation, the hostility, division, and because of Christ, anyone can now move freely into relationship with God, Jew or Gentile, man or woman, then why does this dividing wall of hostility still exist? Why are these things still there? We can say that the division and hatred we see, even in the church, is a result of sin, but but what specific form does that sin take on I want to talk about? The, The reason that there can be walls of division like this still maintaining the us versus them, insider versus outsider mentality, is, I want to see, hopefully I have this slide. Hopefully it's up there. Um, Does anybody know what this is? Anybody know? Called silos. Okay? The reason that there can be, the reason that there are dividing walls between us is because there are walls like this. And I want to explain what I mean by that. A silo. We, a lot of times we don't know what these things are because we're not farmers here. Um, a silo is something that is used. It's a, it's a really big container, and it's used to hold a certain kind of crop, right, food. Um, 
uh, and it, they hold it until it can be loaded like into a truck and they go to sell it. They keep it, they keep it, and they keep different kinds of things in different silos, right? They keep all the, the grain here or certain types of thing, corn or whatever, the things that they keep them in different silos, right? And only that certain type of crop goes in that silo, right? And they're all divided. Now, when silos are used for food, it's smart and it's safe. It's a good thing. But when silos are used with people, it's dangerous and it's destructive. Now, how do silos get used with people? Whenever there is a group of people, or even just a person by himself or herself, that refuses to think outside, even if these are beliefs that harm and alienate and violate, that group or that person is living in a silo. They refuse to think outside of their silo. Now, some might say, who are skeptics, well, isn't that what a church is? Aren't we a silo? All these people stuck here thinking the same way? I hope it becomes very clear by the end of our time today that following Christ is anything but a silo. See, silo mentality is what makes people think that it's okay to march through any streets waving flags that represent the murder of millions of people. That's what silo mentality leads people to do. Silo mentality is what causes people to think that it's okay to bully someone because of the way that they look, the language that they speak, or the religion that they practice. Silo mentality causes people to think that that's okay. Silo mentality is what makes a gang think that it's okay to perpetuate a cycle of bloodshed and crime all in the name of honor and territory. Silo mentality. See, we can identify these things as wrong, but my question is, can we identify the ways that we have allowed this mentality to creep into the church, either into this congregation or just the church in general? Silo mentalities. Can we identify the ways that we have allowed this mentality to creep into our lives, to creep into our families? You know, we we tend to want to think this way, don't we? Why? Well, we like to be surrounded by people who agree with us, don't we? We like to be surrounded by people who are going to affirm and confirm what we think. How many of you intentionally get into conversations with people who disagree with you unless you just love to argue? We tend to want to stay the way we are. We tend to not want to change. The thing is, Jesus Christ is always calling us to grow and to change. The way of the disciple of Christ is one of progress and movement, of moving forward, of moving toward God's holiness. This is not just for us. This is for everyone. It it might help to think of a, a different analogy. How many of you know what this is? Rubik's Cube. How many of you can solve a Rubik's Cube? Anybody? Any geniuses in here? Any Rubik's Cube geniuses? No? Lance? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I wish I would have known. All right. Rubik's Cube. Um, and you, you know what the, the point of this Rubik's Cube is, right? What, what's the goal of the Rubik's Cube? What are we supposed to do with it? Trying to, trying to get all the sides what? Same color, right? Trying to get all the sides the same color. You know, what we are called to do as Christ followers is, is actually like a Rubik's Cube, but in reverse. I think what we, what we want to do, what we tend to want to do, is what we see on the right. We want, tend to want to be 
in our silos. We tend to want to be with only people who are going to confirm what we already think. And what Christ is actually calling us to do, the goal of Christ-likeness is to bring together as many colors as possible. See, we're still one. We're all part of the same Rubik's Cube, the same church. But Christ is calling us to mix those colors instead of constantly wanting to bring it back to the places where we feel comfortable. I wanted to bring this Rubik's Cube for you. I think this is actually more of an accurate picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. And my son, um, he got a Rubik's Cube from uh, our kids' ministry a few weeks ago. And it was, uh, you know, it was kind of cheaply built or whatever. It fell apart. You know, so, and my son is rough with his toys, so it fell apart like the first day he got it, right? So he wanted, a, he wanted a Rubik's Cube. So we looked on Amazon, and I, I said, you want this one? You want and, he, and he wanted this one. And when he first got it, it was all, you know, the colors were all together. And, and he wanted to keep it that way. And, and any time that he would drop it or any time it would get bumped and one of the things would turn, he'd like, oh, he had to like put it back, right? He had to put it back so that all the colors were the, the same and everything was safe and everything looked perfect to him, right? And he wouldn't let it be touched. And then over time, he realized that's not the point of a Rubik's Cube. The Rubik's Cube is all of the many colors. And even if he could, which he can't, solve this, the goal is that you're going to eventually, you're going to mix it all up again. And, and finally, he came to me, and, and, he, and I said, hey, hey, buddy, why did you, why did you decide to you know, mix it all up? He said, because it's more beautiful this way. Because it's more beautiful this way. And I love how this one is not just a six-sided. This is a, uh, Jeff, what do we call this? A, a dodeca. This is a 12-sided. My four-year-old son gets it. It's more beautiful this way. This is not just my crazy idea. This is God's Revelation. You see this in Revelation chapter 7. This vision that God gives to John. He, stand, he sees this vision of heaven and he says, After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our Lord, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This vision of the multitude standing before God from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, and people. Standing before God's throne. You know, Paul speaks of this again in, in Colossians 3. He says, he says this, it's actually Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in, in Christ, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. He gave his life to reconcile us to him and to one another. So what do we do? Once we recognize that we have created an us versus them dividing wall of hostility, or even maybe if we have not intentionally created it, but we have allowed it to settle in our lives, in our families, in our church, what do we do? What do we do when we identify that silo in our, in our lives? I believe that Christ is calling us to become two things. I want to show this to you. This is actually an idea that I got from, from another pastor when he prayed, may we be silo smashers and bridge builders in the kingdom of God. Silo smashers and bridge builders. See, the first thing that we need to do when we recognize that we have these silos, these things that keep us divided, we need to smash those silos. We need to bust the silo. Just like Paul says that Jesus Christ destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, we need to destroy those walls within ourselves too. Either in our own beings or in the midst of the body of Christ. Oh, but what if there are other people in that silo? People who are enjoying the comfort of other silo-minded folk. Well, you can let them know. You can stay here and try to reinforce this silo, but me... I'm busting out of here. I'm busting the silo. And when that happens, when we take that step, we realize that Jesus was never in that silo to begin with. He was always waiting for us to come out of that silo. But Jesus is not in the silo. Jesus is with the outsiders and with the rebels and with the misfits, with the skeptics and the cynics, bringing them into his family, not into his silo. Family looks like this. His family is bigger than we often realize, right? Like that 12-sided Rubik's Cube. And that's the second thing that we need to do. Once we have busted our silos, the next thing we do is that we become bridge builders. I hear a lot of talk among churches about being bridge builders, building bridges into our communities, into neighborhoods, into, into parts of the world where the church has formerly been distant. And I agree that this is crucial, but I want to tell you this bridge building is not going to happen until we first smash the silos. We bust out of the groups and the places where all we hear is the negative and all we hear is the lamenting. We need to bust out and see what God is doing outside of our silos. But once we have, you can't go back. Once you bust that silo, you can't pretend like you don't know anymore. Our hearts and our minds will be open to the people who are still living as outsiders, who are desperately looking for a bridge, a way into the family of God. 
And then we will discover the work that Jesus is calling us to, being workers in introducing Jesus Christ to people. And my family, I want to tell you, for those of you who are thinking, you know what, me and God are good. I have some beef with other people in the church. I have some beef with other people in this family, but me, God, God and me, we're good. I want to tell you it doesn't work that way. If there is a dividing wall of hostility between you and another brother or sister in Christ, then that wall is between you and God. It is there. We may pretend that it is not. And we may tell ourselves that we're good. But that dividing wall of hostility is there. That's why Jesus says, right? If you come to the altar to worship and you recognize that you're, and you know that your brother has something against you, right? What is, and this is, of course, talking the, Jew, the old Jewish language where they used to bring gifts to the altar. But he says, if you bring a gift to the altar, if you come to, to, to worship today and you brought an offering, or you're, he said, leave whatever you're going to do, go and make yourself right with that brother or sister first, and then come back and worship. Oh, how many of us would have had to leave church today and then come back or go and make a phone call or go and shoot a text? How many of us would have, had, would have had to step outside with our spouse and say, I'm sorry? Jesus said it. If there is a dividing wall of hostility, God sees that. So Jesus Christ died to destroy. And, and I want you to know, church, I have seen some of the ways that we as a church are we're already doing this. We're already smashing silos and bridging gaps. We are. There are many of us who are actively in this. Um, friend Vivian right here and, and Sam, they've joined our, our ESL classes on Fridays, right? And, and helped to kind of teach. You're not Chinese, right? And you don't speak Chinese. But Vivian, man, she just loves on these people. She brings them food, and she brings them lessons, and she teaches them the Bible, and she just comes and spends her Friday evenings teaching these people. And, I mean, Albert, you did this for how many years, right? Joined the ESL class, right? And many, many of you have done things like this too, right? You, you, you've invested your time in, in people that are, they're not your language. They're not your, maybe even your culture or your home, but, but you just give. You just give, Right? Uh, Mei Fong and, and Cindy Tan, you know, you, you go with the, the Mandarin congregation. Mei Fong, you don't speak Mandarin, do you? You speak Cantonese, right? But Mei Fong just wants to go and support this Mandarin congregation over here. And so you sit there and you just pray, right? And you have no idea what they're talking about most of the time, but you're just praying for them, right? <clears throat> Smashing the silo, right? Getting out of, okay, you know what? These are not my people, but they are your people. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ, Right? And you're, invest, you're, you're just there praying for them. I love that. Some of you, for a number of weeks, you were going over to, to John and Ivy's house right there, right? Because Ivy couldn't come to church. And you were, you were taking Sunday school out of the context of this campus, and you were taking it over to Ivy's house, bridging that, right? Not, not allowing there to be this division, like, oh, well, you can't make it, so sorry, Right? Uh, several of us from this Monterey Park campus gave us Saturday afternoon and evening to go and not just attend the Roland Heights God Campus event over at our Roland Heights campus, but even to volunteer and help and perform and give. 
Well, that's not my campus. Those are not my people. Well, but they are. Those are our brothers and sisters. And, and there are more opportunities to do this, even just within the context of Trinity and, and outside. But I'm sure ESL class could still use some help. Right? We've got an MPCS parking lot sale coming up where I'm sure they can use help, and it's a great opportunity to, to connect with some of these MPCS families who are not connected to a church or to the body of Christ. Right? Oh, but I don't have kids at MPCS. So what? It's an opportunity to connect, to break out of our silos. Oh, well, that's not my, that's not my people. I don't, I'm not MPCS, or my kids graduated already. Can we break out of that silo? Can we bridge the gap? The communion meals that we have, right? I don't really like the communion meals. I, I want to make my own lunch plans. Can we break out of that silo? Can we just go and sit and have a meal with people, with our brothers and sisters in Christ? We have uh, what, what was called our Harvest Festival that now is going to have a new name and a new look and a, something is coming, <laughs> right? Something's coming. Can, can we bust out of the silo of, well, I, don't, I like the way it used to be done, and I don't really want to help if it's not. Can we bust out of that? And can we come and say, you know what, I'm going to invest in what the, the, the newness of what Trinity is doing, the new vision, right? We've got family promise coming up in October. I've never really done family promise, or I don't really do homeless family things. Can we bust out of that? Can we bridge that gap? Maybe some of you who have never even tried to invest in these homeless families these dear, precious families that come to us for a week. Maybe you can try. Angel Tree coming up in December. We have these families that are, that are on our campus, these kids whose parents are in prison, who are just starving for some kind of love and, and, and affection. We have a chance to come love them. We have all these, this is something that we, we probably don't even think about much, but besides the, the Mandarin congregation, we have all these other language congregations that are now part of Trinity Church. I'm so excited that we have a Spanish congregation that meets over at Roland Heights campus, right? We have a Filipino congregation that they, 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 their service is in English, right? But they, it's the Filipino people, right? And they're gathering together. And then they, sometimes they have this huge feast afterwards. And like, can we find the margin to invest in some of our other congregations that we have? Can we bust out of even the silo of English ministry, right? Well, I don't really do that. That's not my language. That's not my people. That's not my... We have the opportunity to learn an entirely different culture right here on our campus and on our other campus, and how many of us actually take advantage of that? Can we bust the silo and bridge the gap? It keeps us divided. What if all it took was smashing those silos and building bridges and suddenly you find yourself living a new adventure. What if? And this is what Jesus did, and this is what Paul means when he says in Ephesians 2.17, at the end of that passage that we read, he says this, He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, we both, we all have access to the Father by one Spirit. Peace to those who were far away. Jesus is all about bringing in those who were far away, calling to the family those who thought they could never fit. But he was also preaching peace to those who were near. Jesus is about working alongside of those of us who are already in the family, calling us to do the work of silo smashing and bridge building. And why do we do this? Because in Christ, 
both, the one who was near and the one who was far, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I want to start to wrap up by just reading a picture of what this looks like. This is a scripture, this is a story that we read in our our men's group this past week that we studied. You know, when Paul talks about this, this is nothing new. This is what Jesus did. This is who Jesus was. In Mark chapter 1, we hear the story of Jesus healing. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was compassionate toward him. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus sent him away at once with a strong, stern warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead, the man went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. You know what leprosy was in those days? It was basically an end to a person's life before they even actually died. Because they, by having leprosy, by having this disease that could have looked a lot of different ways, some kind of skin disease, right? But by having this disease, they were automatically cut off from the community. They had to go live outside the camp, the city. They had to cover their faces. Whenever they would come into a crowd or whenever they would walk near people, they had to walk around with their face covered and they had to walk around saying, unclean, unclean. Basically saying, here I come. Don't touch me. Don't come near me. I am not worthy. Dead man walking. Basically what they were saying. So imagine how radical this scene is where Jesus is healing people. He was just healing, driving out demons, preaching. And it says that a man with leprosy comes to him. Imagine the scene, right? Jesus there healing people. And people are gathered around him and he's speaking to them and he's preaching the gospel to them. The good news of the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden here comes this leper. Unclean. Unclean. What do people do when this person comes into their midst? Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. Oh, back your kids up, right? Here he comes. Oh, 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 get out of the way. Get out of the way. Oh, 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 yuck. And here he comes, walking right up to Jesus, right? He wasn't supposed to do that. But even more so, Jesus wasn't supposed to do what he did. What did Jesus do? He walks up to him. Jesus walks up to him, says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't even say heal. He doesn't even say take this away. He says, just make, can you make me clean, please? Can you make me right again? I'm starving. I'm, nobody's touched me for who knows how long. Right? He walks up to Jesus. And then Jesus smashes the silo. He smashes the wall of division. 
He reaches out. He touches this leper. You weren't supposed to do that. That was against the rules. That was against the regulations and the commands. You were not supposed to reach out and touch the leper. But Jesus reaches out and he touches the leper and he heals him. He makes him clean. I want you to notice he tells him, go and tell the priest. You know why he tells him to go and tell the priest first? The priest in those days was the one who could say, you are ready to come back into right relationship with the community. When someone comes into our midst and they are hungry for God and they are ready and they have experienced the healing touch of Jesus Christ, we, the royal priesthood, have the opportunity to either tell them, welcome, brother. The healer has healed you. There's no more separation between us. Or, if we still have those dividing walls of separation and hostility in our hearts, we will look at that person and say, you don't fit. You don't belong here. Do you realize the power that we have as the royal priesthood, the family of God? Do you see why it's important for us to actively seek out and tear down the dividing walls of hostility in our lives? Because when those things are there, we shut out even people that are hungry and ready for God, that are following hard after him. We could actually do that. Even unintentionally, we might do that. Do you want to do that? I don't. I don't. You know what's amazing is that Paul, he's writing his letter to the Ephesians. He was writing from prison. He was writing this letter of encouragement and challenge as he himself was locked up. Do you know why he was in prison? You know why he got thrown in prison? What Acts tell, the book of Acts tells us? What crime he committed? He was accused of bringing Gentiles, outsiders, into the temple to be cleansed. Now, he didn't actually do it in the story that you read in Acts, but that was his goal. He believed that God had sent him to preach to the Gentiles, and they could not take it. The Gentiles, the outsiders... You're going to try to bring those people into the temple, into right standing with God? No. See, Paul himself had become a silo smasher and a bridge builder, and he was following the example of his Lord, Jesus Christ. And he was writing to the people. Imagine that. He's not just talking out of his head. This ideal of, oh, well, you should be this flowery language of dividing the dividing wall of hostility, and he smashed. He was doing it, and he was paying the price for it. And now he was calling on the church of Ephesus to do the very same thing. I don't care what it's going to cost you. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes you. Jesus Christ has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. So being a silo smasher and a bridge builder, this is what it means to be a prophet and a priest and a healer. 
See, by calling out the walls by which we are dividing ourselves and by seeking to destroy those walls, you do the work of a prophet. You call out what's there that people are not seeing. You're saying, God says this needs to go, this needs to change. By revealing the heart of God for his people and for those who have yet to become his people, you do the work of the priest. You are a bridge between God and the people. And by bridging the gaps and bringing the good news of Christ, you do the work of a healer. My friends, I want to call you to do two things today as we close. And and I hope this continues with you today, and I hope that it will bother some of you like a rock in your shoe. This is what I want to ask you to do. And as we pray, take some time to seriously ask God, what are some of those silos in your heart and in your life? For some of us, it might be things that we heard growing up that, if we're being quite honest, are pretty racist. And we think, well, I'm old school, and that's the way I grew up. But if we're being honest, some of these things are not right, and we need to write that. If we're being honest, some things that we hold against each other, that we refuse to let go of, grudges, offenses, and we are allowing these things to come, and, and, and we get together with other people, and we say, yeah, did you see that? Yeah, with their hand. And the grumbling continues, right? We love to talk about that person that we, we just, we love to hate, right? We love to just get angry at them and we love to say things about them because, oh, did you see what they did? Did you see, yeah, they did it again. Why I ought to, right? What are those silos for you? And ask God for help. God, help me destroy these things. I know you have div- you've destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, but these things still remain in me. Will you destroy them in me? And then identify those places, those people that are ready for the bridge, that are ready for you to build bridges. Once you break down those walls and you bust out of the silos and your heart is open and sensitive and soft before God, then he will tell you, these are the people that need to be reached. These are the people I'm putting this This person, I'm putting this family, I'm putting this community, I'm putting this group of people, I'm putting them on your heart. Now you're ready. Go build that bridge. Go bridge the gap in Jesus' name. Are we ready today, church? Are you ready today? And maybe you're not. You know what? Maybe you are like, I am not ready to be uncomfortable like this. I don't, I'm no. My silo is just, it's what I know. But can you see? Can you see how God is calling us? You know, as I've been watching the news this past week and watching the, the fights and the debates and the comment sections of Facebook and, so, and YouTube and, I mean, just, just the, the anger that's coming out. And a lot of it is justified. It's just ugly. Just, just, just ugly. What I'm realizing, what I've realized over and over again, 
is that whether it's on the, the side of the, the haters or the, the ones who are fighting the hatred, whether it's on the side of the ones who are right or the ones who are wrong, they don't necessarily have the answers. There is no, there's no salute, there's no go do this, go do that. Tina Fey eating her cake saying, you know, uh, you know or, or, or the protesters saying we need to do this or we need to fight with this. Or, we need... there, are, there are no answers in any of that. But we, as the church of Jesus Christ, we offer something different, completely unique. We offer hope that in Christ there can be freedom from these dividing walls of hostility. And so we say, as Albert read last week, that we live in the reality that Jesus Christ has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. But we still long for the day when we actually will see that happen in heaven. Because until that day comes, we're, we're not going to erase hostility completely in this world. We're not going to erase racism. I know we would love to, but we're not because it's been around since humanity. We're not going to erase oppression we're not going to erase violence and war and hatred. We're not going to because that's the world that we live in. But for Christ's sake, can we be bringers of a new hope? Brothers and sisters, can we go and say, we have something different. We have something. We bring Christ the one who destroys those walls. I'm going to ask uh, our worship team to come back up as we get ready to sing. But as we pray, would you just pray that with me? Would you pray, Lord, would you start with me? Maybe there's some, some truth in what Michael Jackson's saying, right? I'm starting with the man in the mirror, and I'm asking him to change his ways And no message is going to make it any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and ask God. (laughs) Lord, would you help us to identify those silos in our lives, those, those walls that divide us in our beings, in our families, in our communities, in our places of work. in our cities, between languages, between cultures. Lord, help us to identify those things that we've kind of just been holding on to for a long time. Maybe, maybe messages or things that we heard growing up. Lord, maybe those places in our lives where we've never really known anything different, but we're starting to realize maybe that doesn't help. Lord, we want to do this for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, that we would begin to see Trinity Church be a a picture of your, your kingdom. Lord, and maybe you're getting ready, maybe you're getting us ready for something, God. Maybe you're getting us ready because our pastor, our next pastor, is not going to look like any other pastor that we've had. Maybe he's going to have a different skin color than what we're used to. Maybe he's not even going to be a he. 
Lord, maybe you are getting us ready to see more oneness and unity among our, our various language and culture congregations. That we're going to see an explosion that is no longer going to be one style or language that we are going to be <coughs> actively learning from one another. We're actually actively, actively going to be breaking down those walls and, and sitting together and, and having conversations and together coming to, to coming together as one and, and tearing those things down, Lord. I don't know what it's going to be, but Lord, I know you're getting us ready for something. Prepare our hearts, Lord. Prepare our minds. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, so that we can see you. Lord Jesus Christ, 